two, three, clap. Man, that's the first time we've ever been confident. Let's hope this bleeds into the podcast. I was going to say, my counting was a little <laughs> bad, but I did clap, so that's what matters, right? It's, it's the claps. Never mind. I'm not going to finish what I was going to say there. Anything I say can be used against me in an intro or a court of law. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of So Did You Like It, a film podcast among thousands of other film podcasts in which we just talk about the simple question of, did we actually like the movie? I'm Square, and I'm joined by Kaz, as always, and this week we're talking uh, King Arthur, Legend of the Sword, directed by Guy Ritchie, co-written by Guy Ritchie, and I gotta say, I have never been so frustrated by a movie in so long. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah, this is the first movie we're going into, this, um, which neither one of us had seen ahead of time. Like, we started with some softballs, like, you know, okay, everyone's seen The Thing, everyone's seen Shaun of the Dead, everyone loves The Mummy, How you know, so it's like, alright, now let's let's go with something outside of our comfort zone, eh? I mean, it's Guy Ritchie, the man did Snatch, that's a good movie, and The, the Man from Uncle. that's an okay movie. This movie <laughs> could have been something so amazing. It could have been so incredible, but that is not what we were given. (laughs) What we were given was very frustrating, and I have to ask myself, did I watch a movie or just a series of cuts? (laughs) I mean, did you, how how much of the movie did you watch a second at a time? Exactly, like I... You watched two seconds and then switched over to from another angle. My first big gripe about this movie is why couldn't there just be a wide shot between two characters having a conversation and just stay that way? I don't need you to cut from one person to the other person to the one person to the other person when they're literally not even six inches away from each other. I don't need that. We had maybe like five scenes, or five shots, I should say. Five shots that landed that, that lasted longer than like, eight seconds I just that's that's it <laughs> and, and you might be wondering like why aren't we going so into the plot like that well we, we should start off with like this is a retelling of a classic tale and for the most part they do get some stuff right with like some new concepts that are super cool the very beginning of this movie even though it was nine minutes long before we got to the credit sequence was really cool. Eric Bana plays an interesting Uther Pendragon in the te- in the like just ten minutes you get to see him. Um, I loved the magic versus uh, knights kind of warfare we were getting there, and just the just the total destruction we were seeing. It was oh, yeah, yeah. it was really good in terms of a fantasy sequence. If you were reading something like this, reading this straight out of a fantasy book, yeah, those big elephants were dope as fuck. And and for a while, like. You're a little bit worried about the editing of this movie for the first 10 minutes. But you think to yourself, you know what? It's the beginning. It'll change. It'll be great. Yeah, because this isn't even Arthur. This isn't even Arthur. So we're like, ah, you know. Yeah, we're just kind of getting through this, you know, a bit of the intro. And then, yeah, we'll get to Arthur and things will things will settle down, right? Right. So we get, this turns Arthur's story a little bit more Shakespearean in the term, in the, in, eh, in the sense that Arthur's uncle kills his father so he can take the throne but instead of just regular regicide he also kills his wife in this mysterious underground cavern that apparently no one knows about in the castle apparently like 
it had the most minimal guard to it where it was just like this is the probably <laughs> most dangerous room in all of england right now bro we don't know why he keeps that underground like weird water pit man like we just you know your uncle your 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 brother's weird uther he's a little weird but like you know we all got our hobbies i i took up knitting in the army uh, <laughs> but yeah, you know uh I don't remember anyone's name. So Jude Law, you know, he just decided to, to just have an under a, a water dungeon. Voidigan, I think his name was like Voidigan. <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> I just and remember the guy that they killed, that Uther killed, the main bad guy at the beginning. I kept calling Mildred because <laughs> I was like, that's close enough. I don't remember his fucking name. But okay, so that beginning of the movie wasn't so bad. The editing was weird. There were a lot of weird cuts they were using, but all in all. I was actually looking forward to what we were about to see because we were about to get to Arthur. Um, he escaped off a boat that his parents got for him, and he was adopted by some prostitutes from a brothel. Can I stop you there? Because no, I don't want to gloss over the thing that uh, I, my first complaint I would like to make of the movie, because when they're sending him off on the boat, you also get this very graphic, very close-up shot of they just like harpoon through Arthur's mom. It goes towards the camera in 3D. She looks shocked as shit. Falls over a little comically. And then the fucking title, King Arthur, shows up with just this weird, uh, upbeat, like, action movie music. Just a terrible, most, like, terrible choice for an opening theme. And my first complaint... I wanted to say the the, uh, the awful like watching this movie. I was like, I was looking at you. I was like, oh, this isn't 3D, isn't it? But my first <laughs> actual complaint is, and we'll see this throughout the movie. This movie does not like women. <laughs> no, it, it doesn't. It uh, every woman is just serves as a motivation for dudes. Oh, trust me, it's on my <laughs> it's on my notepad, guys. Guys, this is how serious I am. This is the fourth episode of this podcast, and the first time I felt to myself. I need to take some fucking notes because this shit is frustrating. Anyway, I'm excited for look, your notes. Like, so again, first ten minutes, not that bad, not that bad. Except when we get the title card. <laughs> Except for when we get the title card. <laughs> but then we just have to be reminded that this is a Guy Ritchie movie, <laughs> and we just get the first of many, many Guy Ritchie style cuts. Where we go through at least maybe 12 hours to 7 days worth of time within 3 to 5 minutes of dialogue. <laughs> well, And also, a lot of jump cuts. A lot of jump cuts we, to like what happened. We get a montage of Arthur's fucking life from infancy oh, was to the, adulthood. Yes, that's the, that's the first one. See? Yeah. From... So that's uh, from that's twelve not even minutes and fifty seconds months. to fourteen minutes and fifty seconds. We get a silent montage, like no dialogue montage, of Arthur growing up, of him going from a little boy who's just this sweet, innocent boy cleaning up for his adopted mothers, to a hardened uh, protection thug op leader up of an operation. I guess, like just like totally making coffers off the side and by he's like muscle for the uh, brothel, right? Not only for the brothel, but like he's running protection on the streets. Like smugglers have to pay him fees. Yeah. Uh, like criminals have to pay him fees. Like that's where yeah. he's getting all this source of income yeah, that he's right. keeping. 
And and then we just go from there. We wake up after this weird dream of his mom dying because well and like let's be real anyone's gonna have some trauma after seeing that so we can we can forgive him of that literal, we literal can forgive infant. him of one that <laughs> it was a literal infant like <laughs> hey he was at least five he was like a baby in a swaddle on the boat wasn't he no. no no oh no you're right you're right okay i don't know why i was thinking he was a baby um i'm getting my weird sci-fi shows that i'm watching at the same time mixed up I'm thinking of like dumb shit from The Witcher. You you don't pay me any attention. Yeah, he was a child. You're right. Okay, then uh, I get it. I get him having to relive his like mom's death, and then he relives some other visions. But we don't really get to see that till later, right? Yeah, but like, so you think to yourself, okay, maybe you're just react overreacting. But like, we get like the intro to his character. He finds out that his like mom figure named Lucy is missing. No one knows what's happened to her. They find her. She's been, or no, actually, no, that's not what happens. We jump to like her, him in Lucy's room, like with Lucy beat up terribly, but he's throwing money at her, letting her know, like, don't worry, we took care of those Vikings and got the money for you, and they're leaving, and you'll never see them again. And then out of nowhere, like Captain of the Guard shows up because someone's, uh, like on the run from the rebellion. Which is, I guess, their way of introducing the fact that there's a rebellion. Because this is the first actual mention of it. So it's just like, cool, cool, cool. Yeah. Just throwing all this at us. That's fine. That's fine. Uh, yeah, I, I don't mind that. Just sow the seed in the background. At least, you know, have that. And then we meet the rebellion later. I actually don't mind that part. And then we get introduced to a character with the unfortunate name of Goose Fat Bill. Littlefinger! Woo! <laughs> Played by the same actor who played uh, Peter Baelish from Game of Thrones. I don't know the actor's name, unfortunately. I should probably look it up. I feel terrible. But Goose Fat Bill. Well, they said his name was relevant because like, cause supposedly he's like, you know, well, slippery. Not literally slippery, but slippery in that he's able to like get out of like, you know, confines and jails and stuff like that. So he's been able to slip, give him the slip, you know. And so that's why they gave him the name Goose Fat Bill, right? Goose fat Bill. I know he is. He got that moniker because he keeps slipping out from the bars you keep putting him behind. He was fine in this establishment and that doesn't look good for you. Aiden Gillen, that's his name, of course. My bad. I'm that's so fine. sorry. We, we also get an interesting look at this too because the captain of the guard is explaining who this man is and that he's been injured and that he just attacked like a royal barge or something like that. And... Arthur turns him in, like turns in goose, like does not give a shit about the rebellion. It's just like, well, if this is going to cause problems for me, fuck you, dude. Get out of my yeah. brothel. Uh, so yeah. you already get a sense of his character there. I want to mention something about this brothel because you did talk about how like you know, the Vikings like beat that one girl's ass. But like it is shown to be like a repeated thing, like since the montage of when he was a child, like he was constantly going in, even as a kid, like trying to like start shit with the guys who would abuse the women. And I'm like. This happened, like, because they show that happening multiple times as he's a kid, and it happens, and he gets his ass beat, too, and then later he's a teenager, and he's finally able to, like, be strong enough to stop them, and then now he's an adult, and it's still happening. I'm like, this is a problem, guys. Like, Yeah, this is a horrible this is just, problem. This movie is so awful to women. They're just, they it always get their horrible. ass beat. But here's the bigger issue that I'm having now, too, that... Right after that situation with Goosefat Bill, we're brought into a room with Arthur, his two other friends, Captain of the Guard. They sit down, 
and the king wants the whole story or no the guard the captain of the guard wants the whole story from the beginning of the day up to now about lucy and the vikings and we get our second fucking guy richie cut our second one now you're wondering why did i go through this scene by scene that was a lot of time no this happened 21 minutes and 40 seconds into the movie this second cut happened after only six fucking minutes into this movie after the first one. Are you kidding me? All right. So I think the cutting, I had a problem with the editing. When we saw this, I told you the two things that annoyed me the most. Okay, actually, it became three things because it got really egregious towards the end. The three things that bothered me the most was the very choppy editing that, once again, every scene was like two seconds, like, mo the most. Uh, it was constantly chopping. Uh, the music I thought just didn't sit with the rest of like what was going on tonally. It just didn't match up. Uh, and then later on, like the 3D became so egregious that I was like, I can't fucking, I don't, I can't even pay attention to like the cool shit happening. I'm too busy like looking at the thing in the forefront that's supposed to be like, whoa. <laughs> but with the with this choppy editing, I do think it's out of place. I do think Guy Ritchie, what he does really well is the time where he's explaining it and they're doing the montage thing. I like the dialogue happening. I like the way it flows. Oh, he's got great The way dialogue, it's a bunch of blokes but... just talking and being a bunch of assholes. Are you writing a book? Tell me every detail. We had a quiet word with a couple of Vikings. Get back! Get back! I said from the beginning, the very beginning, I woke up. Then... Well, then I got dressed, I went downstairs, I saw the girls, Lucy was missing. Where's Lucy? She's a good girl. A nice girl. She works here. Then? Then, me and the lads took care of a bit of business, a bit of housekeeping. Everything as it should be? That's the spoil from the boats. Then? Then we heard George had trouble again last night. I mean, we out the front. Which George? King George, Angry George, George the Dragon. Be clear, Arthur, which George? The point I was, like, really coming to you is just, like, that was only me explaining two of these Guy yeah. Ritchie cuts. Kaz, there are... Wait, wait, let me guess, let me guess. Eight. There are exactly eight Woo! Guy Ritchie cuts. <laughs> Guy Ritchie cuts. <clears throat> I was going to say six, and that is but not... I was like, no, there's going to be more. That's not including the mini cuts that I didn't include that were only like 30 seconds long. Were Guy so Ritchie, can you calm the fuck down? <laughs> and like... One of the problems was, like, I watched this movie a second time. This is the first time I've had to watch a movie twice for this podcast. And I watched it with uh, my friend Empanadas Empanadas, the, the mod for my channel. Yeah. And he turned to me just so angry because he's just like, there are three movies in this movie alone, and we're only 45 minutes into this fucking movie. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and it's so sloppy that like you're just like I I I have to, I don't even I can't even keep up with like the A B or C yeah, plot yeah. going on right now. Yeah, and then it's funny you brought up the music because another point we came to was just also like a lot of the music that was played for this movie I could find on YouTube, but better. Like this movie doesn't inspire a lot with its score. I know I'm being mean right now, and that that sounds shout, like shout out to Kevin McLeod. <laughs> YouTube's biggest contributor <laughs> to music. I, I know I'm probably being a little mean here. Um, it's just for a fantasy movie, we have we have seen and heard a lot of great or not. We've seen a lot of great fantasy movies and heard a lot of great fantasy scores. And I know Guy Ritchie was trying to attempt something new, 
a new kind of twist to the story that felt a little bit more modern without it being set in a modern time period. But oh, so like yeah, it being modern, but like uh, and then being very dissonant from like the look of the movie. Um, uh, but yet, like you know, like I don't know, it's just like one of those like you know, it probably would have been served to have something that would have been like more orchestral, something like that. But contrast to that, we I, I've joked with you about this, and I was like, hmm. I don't know if I want to talk or if I was going to bring this up, but I do want to bring it up because the movie that we were kind of jokingly comparing it to is A Knight's Tale. And A Knight's Tale uses actual modern music or for its time. And it does it in a fun way that you're just like, yeah, it doesn't bog it down. It actually makes the movie fun. This one, it does it. It's just like, this isn't like, like the this, problem. This this doesn't go along like with the tone. The tonally, this is like I, and and you know what makes this that this point even worse. That and it's it, I'm really glad you bring this point up because we are introduced to a character in Arthur's childhood by the name of Kung Fu I George. Love Kung Fu George. This is a don't you talk ill of Kung Fu George. I, <laughs> no 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 no. I'm not saying anything bad about Kung oh, Fu yeah. George. Kung Fu George is amazing. We need a prequel movie. We need a sequel movie. We need a series about him. I want to know everything about Kung Fu George. Yeah, I need a paralogue of Kung Fu George. <laughs> and he is a man teaching martial arts. Like, he has a martial arts school in the uh, town that Arthur is living He's in. He's the reason why Arthur be- is able to, like, become so tough and be able to uh, have all these yeah. skills. Guys, I need this to be, like, really drive this home. Arthur knows Kung Fu in this movie. King Arthur of Camelot knows kung fu in this movie at that point i was expecting a rap track to come on and i'm so disappointed we didn't use one i actually would have loved it if this was more of a kung fu movie actually it would have been great it would have been amazing i would have loved a kung fu movie with a little bit more action don't don't get me wrong if if i'm gonna bring up a good point about this movie which i want to i don't want this to be super negative uh, King Arthur Legend of the Sword has some of the best fantasy action sequences I've ever seen. It really feels like when you're reading the book of like a, a fantasy book, what you would imagine when you're reading it, that that like one man army descriptions. Yeah, their they're, they're, they're action scenes are really cool. Even the beginning, like with when you said like the magic versus like uh, just regular sword guys, not a whole lot happens there except Eric Bana, kind of a badass, just rules. I actually told you, I was like, I wish we had more of Uther because I actually like Eric Bana as Uther. I was like, holy shit, like this is a movie I would like to see. <laughs> but it, it ended up with a way of like the modern Godzilla where Brian Cranston is the most interesting character and then they fucking off him. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> But uh, but yeah, there's an action scene that we're going to talk about at the very end that I'm like, there is so much that I had to say as a comparison, and it's going to be a really like cliche gamer thingy. But we'll wait till we get to that. <laughs> yeah, one one other thing that's great about this movie I want to bring up is the effects of this movie. With cutting out the obvious 3D effects they were forced to put in because it was a 3D movie, there are such great moments to this that. Uh, Empanadas, another point Empanadas made to me was he was upset for these effects artists that they had to tie their names to this movie because these people could probably make some of the best video game adaptation movies 
Mm, I, Ever. Don't, I don't know that I would say that I'd be like, you know, upset for them. Honestly, that's one of those like, yeah, sure, your movie didn't do great, but like that's still a really cool reel you could show to people. Oh yeah. Like, I, yeah, look at look at the cool shit I accomplished. And they accomplished some shit in this movie. Yeah, because like all the parts that were really great with their effects didn't have a lot of dialogue, so it was gonna be great. Yeah. And uh uh opposite contrast to special effects, um, I guess this might fall under special effects as well. Um, one other thing that you mentioned when we were watching it was the color palette was gorgeous. Yes. Like uh, later on, it kind of kind of gets a little washed out with gray towards the end. But like the greens and all the different colors of this uh, fi- uh, this fantasy setting were so vibrant. It wasn't just kind of what they do in modern fantasy. Like ev- like I just, I mentioned the Witcher. The Witcher is very gray. <laughs> Witcher is very dark and gray. It's good, but like. It's just a little. It's just a little like I don't know. It's it, it's so like subdued in its color palette, and then it, I don't know if they had like on location shots, but like the the locations they were at for some of this movie were like really nice. I'm really glad you brought up color because it can I can segue this to a character. We are introduced to a mage in this movie that is supposed to act as Arthur's guide. What is her name? It is literally just Mage. Now, the reason why you think of, you're thinking, how does this tie with color? She has the most beautiful blue cloak of this entire movie that pops so visually to the rest of her landscape that really makes you draw the eye, your eyes to her for the enigma she is compared to everyone else. Now, that is the most interesting thing about this character after that. That's it. They didn't write anything else really about this character. And before you jump in to tell me that, like, to try to save it, I wanted to let you know I read a fun fact about this movie. The mage character was originally supposed to be Guinevere, the love interest of Arthur, but they couldn't give the storyline enough time, so they just changed her character to be named mage and that was it. She didn't have a lot of personality, so I, they probably no, she had to, did not. They must have taken out a lot of, like... Yeah, the movie was already um, kind of convoluted and bogged down anyways. I don't know that adding a, a love story to it. Uh, I was actually just going to say that I think like the blue hues and making it really stand out is because, I don't know, I think in my head, and I don't know how ubiquitous this is, but like in my head when I think of Merlin, you think of like the big blue robes, and she was, since they didn't have Merlin in here, she was a, basically functioning as an avatar of Merlin. So I think that's, in my head, that's why they had like the vibrant blue. I Yeah, and the blue of Merlin bled through and like the the blue coloring of mages you could see a lot in it like there was that like ethereal blue we'd see and then of course like raging fire was like a constant spell we'd see through the ma- from the mages of this movie but if you're going to write in a mage character like someone that is supposed to also be a guide for arthur give them personality give them their moments give them their time to shine to really have great conversations with the with the main character the person supposed to lead Every interaction between Mage and Arthur are so stilted and and just they never seem to have any weight to them. No moments where I felt like actually yeah. feel a sense of connection between the two of them. We had, and this is like we don't have a lot of characters that really feel close to each other. I'm gonna once again reference a Night's Tale. Maybe we've got to watch a Night's Tale sometime for this. Oh, we're totally we're watching. Totally, a Night's Tale. But I'm gonna go back to the Night's Tale <laughs> where like what this had 
was guys in a pub or was it blokes in a pub talking to each other and they were funny they were witty it was cool but like we didn't have like a big connection they didn't feel close to each other we're only told that they're close to each other as opposed to something like a knight's tale where like you have jeffrey chaucer and and william and they start off as like they don't know each other but they show each other you know acts of kindness acts of mercy and then by the end of it you believe that they're best friends like you believe it's like oh my god like they actually this these crew actually care for each other yeah no okay backlack wet stick those two are the realest out there those two are the realest of this movie i'm gonna put that out there arthur's friends are incredible and I love them. I'm gonna say that point with Tiny Tim and 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 Backlack or whatever. Um, I'm gonna say it didn't hit well. It, I was just, I was just more annoyed with Tiny Tim. I'm sorry. I'm gonna call him by his name. Blue. I think. Blue. <laughs> there you go. They kept calling him Blue. I kept calling him Tiny Tim. The part with Blue <laughs> uh, coming back for uh, Backlack. You said his name was uh, him coming back for him. That didn't make me think of like, oh my god, it's because they're ex- carry for each other so much. It's it, that scene more re- or more annoyed because I was like, he came back, no one got killed. Or, I mean, aside from the guy who was already going to get killed, who was already dying and got left behind, uh, they didn't any more endanger them. They still got away. No, there was no consequence of him going back. So I was like, that was pointless. <laughs> yeah, you're right. But let me. Can I? I I'm sorry to do this, but I just got to go back to the mage character real quick because we're talking about pointless too. She is supposed to be the guide of this character. Now, by the time Arthur has joined the rebellion after pulling the sword from the stone, which BT dubs, just to throw that out there randomly, was his dad. His dad was the stone, the pedestal the sword was held in. So take that information and do whatever you want with it. Process it all you want. (laughs) I actually like that. I thought it was cool as fuck. I thought that was like, oh, like, cause yeah, they, he just pulls the sword out of stone, and then in the flashback, you see he throws up the sword, the sword falls into his back, and he starts turning to stone. I was like, fuck, that's actually really cool. <laughs> yeah, just proving Eric Bana is the more interesting pen dragon out of the two of them. But anyway, back to it. So the mage is supposed to be the guide that leads Arthur to greatness, and she even has a moment with Sir Bedivere, played by the incredible uh, uh, Jaman Hansu, who. Is like telling him, like she's telling him, like you, to for him to be a king, you have to break him down to, into nothing, and for him to be given a bigger purpose, and that they have to go to the dark lands and take the path through the dark lands. Now mm-hmm. you're thinking to yourself, oh shit, this is the moment. This is where Arthur's gonna learn character development. This is Guy Ritchie cut number like four, I believe, where legitimately a whole entire movie's worth yeah. <laughs> of questing and character development is shoved into 5 minutes it starts off with him being an arrogant asshole at the beginning of the quest to by the end of it being so angry and like no i am part of this rebellion now the king must die i must bring him down i will like i what <laughs> what and for foreshadowing there was a big snake but we don't know what happens with that big snake. We just know later on he escapes the big snake. There's some wolves, some dire wolves. He just puts the sword down and dire wolves are like, all right, shit, we ain't fucking with you. And then they just leave. And then the biggest reveal of all to this point in the movie was at the end of this quest, Arthur has to put the sword to the pedestal and relive all of his memories from what happened to him when he was a kid. 
that is when we see Eric Bana as Uther Pendragon, the savior of this film, for the maybe only 12 minutes he's mm. in it, take on a motherfucking demon knight. Yes! Yes! <laughs> I'm talking a nine-foot giant of a man, charcoal black skin, a ram... Just a big flaming dovakin. Like ram's horn, <laughs> skull helmet and just a constant like billowing flame cape it was beautiful with a twin scythe weapon and immediately for just a few seconds i was like is this about to be a good movie again it is when eric ban is on the screen <laughs> so it was for the few moments the, like he knocks the sword out of his hands the son grabs the sword tries to hand to his dad this the dad just in too much of a rush can't even be bothered he just pulls the sword right out of his kid's hand leaving like scars as if his as if his kid's hands were a hilt so imagine that yeah and he just pulls it right out of his kid's hands his his kid ends up growing up with the scars on his hands and then yeah he fights for as much as he can eventually when i think when he sees it's lost he just tosses the sword in the air and then he just kneels over and that's when the sword like falls through him and he starts turning to stone. And I'm like, fucking Eric Ban is the best in this. I don't care what he did in the Incredible Hulk. <laughs> Wait, I'm sorry. I, you threw me for a loop there pulling out that Ang Lee movie sorry. like that, but okay. I'm just saying, he was in that movie, it was bad. <laughs> and this makes up for it, goddammit. Even though this movie sucked too. You know what? <laughs> the best part of it. Oh my God! We went from be the be the D you want to be in your life to be the Eric Banner. Be the Eric Banner you want to see in the world. <laughs> so, okay. or the Uther, however you want to go about it. Now, all of you must be thinking right now. Damn, they've talked a lot about character development and growth and joining the rebellion and the king having to die. There must be. They must be getting to the end game. No, ladies and gentlemen, we are now only halfway through the movie. <laughs> Was this halfway through? Like, this was, like, three, uh, like, one-third of the movie still. New man to overcoming trauma. It was started 50 minutes and 58 seconds into the movie in Guy Ritchie cut fashion and ended 56 minutes and 43 God seconds into the movie. Damn it. This movie is over two hours long. We still had a whole would, fucking hour to go. Would it, would it be too much to jump ahead a little bit to talk about Merlin's cameo? Please, just take this away from me. I am very frustrated right now. We get to see the back of Merlin when we talk about, like, the forming of Excalibur. So Excalibur apparently was, like, oh, at least it started as, like, a mage, I think? Or, like, like a a staff a, a great mage used. And then he was betrayed, killed, and that mage was used for awful power until eventually Merlin was able to get a hold of it. And he was able to go to this giant constructed mage tower, this holy, like, well, not holy, but like this big, I don't know, catalyst of a mage tower. And we get to see the back of Merlin as he's holding up the staff and like enchanting it with all this great ability. And then eventually it's given to special, I don't know who, but some special people who could forge it and inset ruins into it uh, to make it like even more powerful to really draw out its power. And then they uh, give it to the Lady of the Lake so she could enchant it and make it only avail- only usable to the bloodline. And all that was like we just had like a two-second shot of the back of Merlin. And then we get finally that's how Excalibur were born. 
and given to uh, to U- Uther Banna. Um, yeah. So if anybody was waiting for me to give this tri- this climactic and amazing, inspiring introduction to Merlin, that's it. There you go. You got fucking ten seconds of the back of his head. You I hope you were happy with it. Seconds. <laughs> that could have been anyone in that wig. He forged a, a sword out of an archmage staff, which I I have to ask this: mages' staffs are usually made of wood in most fantasy sense because they have to be natural and in tune with the world. So you're telling me this mage's staff was made of metal or that we transmuted this wood staff into metal? And I have a lot of questions, and this is already a better movie than King Arthur. <laughs> I, I am I am okay with just saying it was transmuted. Let's just move on. <laughs> We're still going chronologically. What, uh, what, what, what do you got for us? We haven't even talked about Jude Law. Oh, yeah. By the way, Jude Law is the bad guy in this movie. And to be honest, he's yeah. very underutilized. Oh, speaking of underutilized, uh, <laughs> every time we get a shot of... This is just a wordplay, not actually saying someone else is underutilized. Uh, every time we get a shot of Jude Law, it's always from a low angle looking up at him. Really driving home the fact that he's supposed to be above us or whatever, just dumb shit. Uh, but yeah, I was like, are we ever going to get a shot of Jude Law on his level? Or maybe above him? Nope, doesn't happen. We're just... <laughs> Oh, it's just low angles of Jude Law looking above the camera. So what you need to understand about Jude Law's character is he is that jealous of his brother type of character and wanted power. But that when you're when Arthur's first introduced to him after all these years and they meet up for the first time uh, after Arthur's been arrested for pulling the sword from the stone, he gives this amazing speech about fear. I will show them power. I will show them strength and dignity. You will show them lies, weakness, and shame. They may have come for you, but they will leave. They will leave with a lasting impression of me. They may even hate me. I'll let them hate, just so long as they fear. When people fear you, I mean really fear you, it is the most intoxicating sensation a man can possess. A force of something almost indescribable moves through your blood and takes you over completely. You start to realize he is the demonic knight that killed his brother yeah. by killing his loved one at the waters of the sirens below the castle. Yeah. He is given the power to become a demonic knight. So there are a lot of beautiful moments where you see him screaming and crying for his loved ones that he just murdered himself. And he plays it so well that you realized, no, that is just a that's that is a, a sociopath pretending to feel pain when realistically all they're ready to do is to kill someone it's thanos throwing gamora off being like no it's because i love you it's like it's not really (laughs) and it was done really well i the second time i watched this movie i really appreciated jude law and thought he could have been used so much better 
Yeah, I think so. I mean, even the whole, like, it's better to rule through fear. I'm like, that's such a boring, regular cliche of a bad guy thing. <laughs> no, like, it's so, like, yeah, I don't know. It's just, he's a paint-by-numbers villain, as written. Dude lost fine in the role. I mean, if not, just very monotone and not having to say much. Um, but, like, yeah, everything about this character as written is just, like, he's so cliche and uninteresting and unoriginal he doesn't add anything <laughs> so to jump ahead from where we were at now we get two more guy Ritchie cuts in which they first explain how they can't use the royal families uh to overthrow the king because they're a bunch of pansies that aren't gonna listen to him because he was raised by uh prostitutes and then about like how they need to be using the rebellion to destroy the economic situation of uh, the king's like ruled lands, you know, which was actually pretty interesting, and I really liked it. And then the second Guy Ritchie cut after that is about how they're going to assassinate the king from a river barge. Yes, they have a whole plan for it and everything, and they were like, even like, yeah, he's gonna have a he's gonna have a double out there. Don't worry. But then goddamn Littlefinger. <laughs> but then just goddamn Littlefinger. Yeah, of course Littlefinger is the reason it doesn't work. He gives away their position. Who's the best sh- the best shot ever, by the way? But that's Yeah, fun. he can shoot um, he can shoot a bow from 175 yards away, but totally gives away their position when having to fight a He's like about to kill a man he's had beef with for so many years and just totally gives I mean, you think actually he misses. That's the problem. He doesn't. Apparently he shot this arrow with so much force from a hev- 175 yards away, it went through the man and his armor out the other side of him and still lodged himself <laughs> into a wagon. It was such a, like, TTRPG thing where it's like a, yeah, you use your special ability to give it extra force somehow. It. <laughs> it. It. What? <laughs> Yeah, that motherfucker rolled a cor- a crit on that hit, man. God damn. 20, I went all the way through him. We also Jeez. get to see Arthur use the sword for the first time, which was beautiful. He fights 20 men by himself in a room, and it is the perfect uh, scene of that moment in a book where like, it's the character fighting by himself, and it's just like a raging storm in one room with uh, bodies flying in each direction with the swing of his weapon. And it was super well done. If they, there was a sandstorm effect they had to throw in to make it look like a real D movie, a real 3D movie, which kind of bogged it down. But other than that, it was awesome. It was so good. I loved it. For like a brief second, I was transported away. And then I was brought back because Backlack gets stabbed and then is like dying and gets captured by like or gets confronted by the city guard and like everything seemed to be going fine until his young son decided to run back to check on him when he could do absolutely nothing and there was no point to it yeah this is when they were making their escape but wait wait wait, wait hold on i don't want to gloss over is this when they attacked um 
Kung Fu George's uh, little dojo area. Yeah, it was in Kung Fu George's dojo where like Arthur just wrecked shot. I don't want to. I don't want to gloss over one Kung Fu George once again. Always amazing. Love him. Um, but I don't want to gloss Crazy over. Glass for Kung Fu George. I don't want to like gloss over the fact that like the one guy like as as they're being surrounded and there's like all these archers on the roof. This one guy jumps in front of them, and in slow mo shoots three arrows midair before he lands. I'm like. Jesus Christ, how fast is that? And he hits three guys. I'm like, what the fuck? This this fucking hero of a man, what's his story? And then yeah, King Arthur just like wrecks shit. So and then yeah, yeah, they're making their escape. Um back back backlack? Ba- yes, his name is Backlack. I have to also point out that King Arthur's friends' names are Backlack and Wetstick. Let that sink and in. Goose something goose fat bill is not his friend oh okay i mean they become friends yeah sort of (laughs) but uh and and kung fu george kung fu george is his friend oh kung fu george is his friend and kung fu george is a good boy yeah and so so yeah that happens and then any wreck shit then they yeah uh back like bill uh gets stabbed or whatever and then like yeah he's he's they pretty much know they're gonna leave him for dead he knows it and the there's just nothing they can do about it, and then, uh, and then Tiny Tim comes back, and it's con- it has no consequences, and then they they're able to make their escape. It, it was, it had no purpose to this movie, and it only and the reason why I say this is because, right, the the reason this scene had to happen was they wanted Arthur to see Backlack die. That's why this happened, because of course he goes on this huge grieving situation. Now you think to yourself, oh man, this is going to be a great moment of like acceptance. No, it's another Guy Ritchie edit. Let's go over this Guy Ritchie edit now. Anyway. But he already knew he was going to die, though. They knew they were going to leave him. So. It is a Guy Ritchie edit of grief, loss, throwing the sword off a cliff into a raging river, and then running through like a wet kind of foresty area that's almost swamp-like, too. Falling over, getting swamp water all over him, only for a hand to grab him from the water, from like, you know, a two-inch puddle, and pull him into the ground. Of course it's the Lady of the Lake. Let's not worry about this reality marble-shifting ability she has. And just throws the sword to him, making him relive the memory of realizing that the Demon Knight was his uncle, and that the sword, or the stone was his father, and that... He must accept the sword and kill his uncle. And it would have been a beautiful scene if it wasn't another Guy Ritchie cut of just a bunch of montage cuts. Yeah, because once again, going back to there is a nugget of a kernel of a cool idea in there where it's like, yeah, the I, I don't know. I actually like like the Lady of the Lake like pulling him in, into the water in this like small like like what like five inch creek. And then suddenly, like, yeah, pushing him back through, and he pulls the sword out of this impossible space. Uh, I thought that was a pretty cool visual, but yeah, it's just it's just cut so weird that it's like, yeah, hey, look, this is a cool idea. I, I it's it's sloppy and all over the place though. And oh, by the way, after that, he goes from just wanting to be in the rebellion to, hey, we're gonna go take the castle, and we're gonna go do it by walking through the front door. That's it. That's it. I mean that—that's kind of 
it's kind of what they do in Rogue One as well, where she's just like, I don't want to join the Rebellion. You know the best thing to do? Just close your eyes. Don't look at it. La, la, la. Then her dad dies. All right, so how are we going to take down the Empire? Shit, you're so right. <laughs> it's the same fucking thing. Like, she just flips a switch, and she's on the Rebellion. You know, she is the Rebellion. I mean, you're right. You're right. You're right. So... I mean, just because I'm right, that doesn't make it good. Think to yourself, this is where we get our cool uh, planning sequence. Uh, no, this isn't where we get our cool planning sequence. This is where you get, like, the truth that, like... So one of their uh, members of the Rebellion betrayed their position, and so everyone else was slaughtered except for the main characters because of plot armor. And that Blue and the Mage were taken hostage, and that Arthur has to go uh, talk to them, and has to go by himself. But before they do that, before uh, they I, do I, that, I do. Uh, Sir Bedivere takes Excalibur to the king for trade for the Mage, so it's proof that Arthur will come for the boy, but first they want the Mage back as proof that this is not a trap. Yeah. So they get the mage back. So this is when you're like sitting down. You're like, okay, planning sequence. Here we go. This is what we're gonna know what to do. It's gonna be crazy. No, it's not. It's a guy Richie edited about him going on a snake vision quest after being bitten by a snake, and he's like on a drug sequence with like some sort of old like new age country song playing over it. That sounds so generic oh, that like yeah. I started singing along with, even though Kaz was just like, "Dude, you don't have that great a voice." But it was only to make sure you to make a point that like. No, <laughs> no, no, everyone could sing this song if you just give them five seconds to listen to it. It's so fucking easy. I just wanted to bring that up. I just wanted to say that because I was like, I was like looking at it now and I'm just like, is he going to sing the whole song? <laughs> like, cause you had it spot on exactly the cadence, exactly the pitch. Uh, the, and you were, we had the subtitles on, so you could, got exactly the lyrics and I was like, is he really going to sing this whole motherfucking thing? <laughs> and so, so I was like, I was like, Hey, um, no, of course not. Voice. And you're like, yeah, I know. I just wanted to prove that I, I know exactly how the songs go. I'm like, yeah. Yeah, you definitely nailed it 100%. <laughs> and, and it was like, it, it, they end up in the castle, and he's talking to his uncle, and then out of nowhere, a snake appears out of the, the, the wall and tries to bite the king, but then doesn't bite the king, and like blood gets sprayed everywhere, and it kind of is almost like acid in a sense to him because he like recoils and then shit just get hits the fan and the film just gets super messy after this like there is not a lot of cohesion to the final sequence of this movie because we go into the castle to like the king going to find his daughter so he can murder her for power while yeah, like so we can i fridge another lady for the sake of the man. Well, Arthur's fighting like 20 men at the front, and then having to find the mage tower his uncle's been constructing. It's a cool slow-mo scene, though, even, but even though it has like too much like, hey, look, there's the 3D shot. It is a really cool scene when he, again, it's another great sequence of him using the sword being a one-man army. <laughs> He's like hitting shields so hard, the screws are falling out. He's cutting swords in half. Kaz, we have finally hit the moment that this is what you've been waiting for. Could you please walk us through the final fight sequence of this movie? 
I I can't. I don't actually remember the full fight sequence verbatim. Once again, I, I got distracted by the 3D. Okay, straight up. He goes into this magic tower. He touches the sword to the stone table. Magic ruins erupt in light around him. And you think that, like, we're getting this epic sequence, and it does turn into it. It's just a little weird because the tower falls away, and next thing you know, we're on this rocky little island landscape with three large lanterns around him in a triangular pattern and set in the most badass final boss style pose is the demonic knight leaning over the table and then turning away like just saying like you've won nephew you've won you've beaten me and won but then like turns around and like with flaring red eyes and this like imposing weapon just goes now play with me and you're oh. just like, ooh, yes! It's just a wet fart. Oh, okay, well, maybe you were uh, aroused by <laughs> because, it, like, I was just like... Because, like, it was just the icing to the cake of, like... Oh, Guy Ritchie. If, Guy if there Ritchie, was, please. If there was a setup where maybe they used, he used to play with him and he was a boy, and he, you know, then it would have been, like, a funny, like, little callback. No, of maybe, course there wasn't. Or if there would have been... If he would have had a better line, this was just like a... Oh, no, anyone, why would he be given one? Anyone could have said that. You didn't have to be like, eh. <laughs> but don't don't let me derail from this, in the sense that like this was bad. It then turned into one of the best final boss fights I've ever seen in a movie. I know. This was the because great, it was so cool. This was a great final boss video game fight. <laughs> like this is. This is Dark Souls worthy, and I'm going to make the actual comparison because I was making the comparison when we were watching it because he's got this flame flickering cloak, and then, yeah, just the fight is so intense and it's so fucking aggro that it reminded me of a boss in Dark Souls 3 on the DLC, Flame Knight Gale. We started calling him Flame Knight Gale. Or Slave Knight Gale, sorry. Slave Knight Gale. Because, yeah, he has a big flaming cloak of souls, and he go, it gets really aggro, and he's like bigger than your character. Not, well, I mean, by a bit, but like you know, not like a big bestial like you know monster that you get in those things. He's just a big old dude. And then yeah, you have this intense fucking fight, and I was like, I'm that f- I'm that f- meme with the guy, the anime guy holding a butterfly, going, "Is this a Dark Souls?" <laughs> It was it was everything that reminded me of it. It was so well done. It was amazing. The like stormy landscape in the background, the like super interesting choreography in the two of them. Like the first sequence where Arthur's losing, of course, because he has to like find his courage and get the second phase of the fight when he's unlocked his ultimate like I've accepted the me for me. <laughs> you know, it's <laughs> like it was kind of like he has another vision, by the way, of like his father dying. And when the sword is falling towards him, he catches it in midair. And Eric Bana looks up at him and tells him, like, it's yours. Just take the sword. Use it, Arthur. And that's when, like, I imagine just the white sword erupting from his chest. And you just hear, like, King Arthur has gotten the power of self-acceptance. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, just goes on to wreck shop against his uncle. Which, by the way, I want to point out this. This is a boss fight again because... 
after wreck after like beating his nephew he goes back to the original pose he was at in front of the table like a final boss would after just wrecking shop on you <laughs> and then yeah like he unlocks like a second phase once again it's very like dark souls where it's like <laughs> king arthur's re- has has a, is at half health now is his second phase <laughs> it was ridiculous like i loved it and was having fun and it was just again a thing where it was like there was so much potential to this movie and my biggest takeaway is if only it wasn't guy Ritchie that he chose to direct it oh, for this final fight the thing that really just made me like if annoyed was i was thinking if only they weren't going for those 3d shots because i pointed out to you at one point where it's like i think the sword or a weapon got like knocked away and was like in the foreground it's like 3d whoa kind of shit and in in the background you see him still like striking at him while the other guy's trying to dodge i'm like i want to see what's happening over there (laughs) (laughs) and why am i looking at this fucking weapon in the in the foreground now i want to say i love guy ritchie lock snatch lock stock and two smoking barrels the sherlock holmes with robert downey jr those are all great movies for me, I enjoyed them. <gasps> so I wanted, I wanted to mention, I wanted to mention earlier with the fighting in the, like it was so like slow and calculated, like with the whole like yeah slow mo starts and then it's just like these very deliberate shots. And um, you were saying how yeah you, you could imagine reading this in a book, mm-hmm. and in my head it just reminded me of the Robert Downey Jr. like Sherlock Holmes thing where it was like very slowed down, very calculated, very deliberate movements and all that stuff. And then I could imagine reading that in a book. So now that you're telling me like he directed like the the Sherlock Holmes movie? Makes sense, right? I was like, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Like he's made a lot of great movies. This was just kind of a misstep for me. Should he write a book? Guy Ritchie, <laughs> can you write a book? <laughs> <laughs> could you just write some fantasy books for us please it would be this it, it might go better for you maybe he writes good dialogue amongst characters uh, that that's the majority that's basically this whole film that was it this is the first time we've done a scene by scene breakdown of a film really because like that is how frustrated i was with this movie and i hope i i hope i didn't take too much of your time on this one kaz because like Man, I wanted this to be so much better than it was. Yeah, yeah, it's so funny. I, I can't wait for we for us to get to the end and we ask the question, because um, I think I'm gonna get a different answer than what I got uh, when we watched the movie. Um, when we saw it, it was like one of those like I think a lot of times you're asking like what's happening and like sometimes we're just like I think this and other times it's like I don't know dude I'm just here for the ride like you are <laughs> <laughs> and then by the end of it I think you were like mostly positive you're like I think I like this movie but it's got some problems well, let's just go ahead and pose the question now Kaz did you like the movie don't no (laughs) it i wish i did i'm gonna say that i'm gonna say i wish i did it's got some cool bits it's got some cool fighty scenes it's got some some fun dialogue and it's got some nuggets of kernels of ideas as i've said before but i don't like the editing the execution uh the music choices 
I don't like that every female character was just fodder, background noise, motivation, had no characteristics. Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> I'm going to say, I'm just going to leave it at, I wish I did like this movie. What did you, what about you? So did you like it? No, I didn't like it. Okay. I didn't like it. This movie was just like, oh, so infuriating. I did like this movie. I did like it. I don't, I don't think I'm <laughs> okay. ever going to want to watch this movie again. I just, wow. <laughs> wow. I, if I were to recommend this movie to someone, it would be, oh, Google that scene or YouTube that scene. I am so glad that we are not getting six more movies of this because this was supposed to be a franchise. Holy fuck, do I not care. <laughs> and with that, let's go ahead and wrap oh, things I, up. I, let's, I do want to also say that little that little joke I made earlier. I don't have anything against Kevin McCloud. He does pretty good shit, and it's great that he allows that <laughs> other people to use his music for their YouTube videos. He's a great artist, I swear. <laughs> All right, Kaz. Do you have anything you want to plug real quick? <laughs> just gonna, just gonna say you could catch Sir Squarin, my splendiferous co-host here at twitch.tv forward slash Sir Squarin. Uh, he streams uh, the indie games and some other cool Souls-like games from time to time. We are. Don't flirt with me now, Kaz. All right, I'm already frustrated enough. As I'm it gonna is. make some like. Kakuin level like lick noises at you in a second if you keep going. Uh, you can watch us at twitch.tv forward slash second respawn. That's two ND and then the word respawn. And yeah, we watch these movies on our second respawn Discord. You'd have to get the link if you show up to our streams, I think, um, which we watch live with live reactions on Wednesdays and then we talk about them here on twitch.tv forward slash second respawn on Fridays and then they go out on uh, podcast services a week later alright final thoughts before we end this with a raid when your day is looking really shitty just think to yourself how can Eric Bana save this if only for just 10 minutes yeah listen as bad as things as bad as things can get in the world just think <laughs> Eric Bana is there. He's the uh, he's he's here in the world with you somewhere. He's making it better somehow. <laughs> I hope he's a good person cuz if he's dog shit. <laughs>